And please welcome the lovely, the beautiful, and the... Look at these legs, guys. Welcome them. Mr. Guile Smith, everyone. <laughs> you ever guys had that nightmare where you went to school and forgot to put your pants on? Yeah, I also didn't feel that way. I wasn't intending... To... I wanted to wear this today to be a walking advertisement of our picnic. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm, 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 I'm finding as many reasons as I can to be very casually dressed. We're going to have Satin Sunday coming up soon. <laughs> so we're a satin jumpsuit. Um, Christmas PJ week. The Brown family has already started that about five years ago. So, you know, so I'm a walking advertisement for picnic. Now, here's the deal. If you're like me, you're a natural introvert. Crowds of people do not bring you pleasure. You're like, wow, that's a re- you got the wrong job, dude. <laughs> and here's what I mean by that: I love people to people that I get. I can I, I honestly get anxious in crowds. And so, if you asked me, what do I really need in my life? I need a book and being by myself. <laughs> but here's what I found out. A book and being by myself isn't enough. It isn't enough. I need you. I need you. I need to be in relationship with you. Do you know it's it's really hard to be lonely? It's hard to be alone. It's actually hard in the physical body to not be around other humans. There's there's a lift that happens even physically when we're with others. And so so if you're like me and you gotta kind of push yourself to do it, do it. Because you won't regret it. I find every time. Something amazing happens. Um, I think as a writer of Hebrews says, hey, engage with strangers because you might be entertaining an angel and you didn't know it. And, and that goes back to the story of, of remember, um, Isaac. It, uh, it was like these three guys are coming out in the desert. and He's like, I don't know who they are, but let's invite them in. And ends up being angels that actually then they have a child through this whole deal. And and I tell you, there really are people in this community that are angels. They know Jesus. And, and, and you don't know them yet. And we need to know each other so we get to know Jesus better. So, so if you even have to think, okay, it's a spiritual discipline to be around other humans, then that, that's great. I think the Lord will take that. Others of you are just bursting for this moment. You know, you just can't wait to let you know all the things I think that you didn't ask about, but I'm going to tell you anyway. You know, that, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. So anyway, come tonight. It's, it's just part of our health in meeting Jesus in community together. And it's so low entry. All you got to do is just kind of show up and walk around. Okay. Um, so today I'm going to start a, a short series that, that um, really is addressing this whole idea of where are we going as a church um, some, some of you are like, oh man, I'm so interested. Some people are like, don't care at all. And it's okay either way. Um, but I, I feel like, I feel like the Lord is just kind of nudging us to this moment. Part of the deal is just cause, man, it feels like, maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. But we, it's hard not to live in a constant state of disorientation these days. Anybody notice that feeling? You know, you just, just when you feel like you kind of got it going, then, you know, either the news feed or work or something happens in family and, and, and things seem to be more volatile than they've been before. And so we want to give you the sense of 
we have a sense of what Jesus is doing with us. There's this really cool um, example we have in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. Where Jesus says to John, he says, hey, write these things down. Because I have a specific message for specific churches in actual locations. You can go to the actual locations where these churches were, that Jesus had a different message for each one of them. Here's some things I see. It's going well. Here's some things I want you to, the, the, to work on maybe a little bit, and let's, let's go for it. And so th- that I think Jesus is still doing that today for individual bodies of believers of what he wants to do in each of us. So that's really what I'm going to talk about. So I'm going to start about just where are we going. And, and Lord Jesus, we ask you to be present to us. Knowing that, that clever words don't do us any good. Good speaking does us no good. But as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, we're relying on the demonstration of your spirit and your power. Because you are alive and you're present. So that our faith would rest not on the words of humans, but on God himself. So we long for you, Jesus, for you to be with us. You said if two or more gathered together in my name, I'm literally there. So we welcome you as the guest, the king, the boss, the central attraction. And say, we are here to hear from you. Help us to hear. Through Jesus we pray, amen. Everything starts with Jesus. Where are we going? Everything starts with Jesus. How many of you guys appreciated Keith Wheeler last week? Just talking about friendship with Jesus. That I, I thought it was just so appropriate, and Keith just killed it, that, that, that it's so critical to know we're not talking about an idea. We're talking about a person when we say Jesus. And so, so but for, for us, Anything and everything that we feel like if we're going somewhere, it has to start with this person, Jesus. And I want to spend just a moment saying, why do we say that? Why do we say we start with Jesus? And, and, and I'll say that I think probably the most two important, the two most important questions that every human is having to answer right now on the face of the planet is, is this one, who God is and what God, what he does. Now you say, what about an atheist? Why would they have to know who God is? Well, an atheist has a view of who God is and what God does. Nothing and nothing. But that fundamentally informs how you live your life, doesn't it? It informs about what you think is right and wrong, what's valuable and not valuable, about how I should do, what I should do with my time right now. I remember USA Today years ago did, did a study on the way people experience life based on their view of God. That if you feel all the time that God is a rule keeper ready to smack you with anything, that the way you're going to deal with yourself and others is probably going to be different than if you believe God's for you. And what's good things for you. It's just going to color your perception of how life is going. You know all that self-talk? You know what I'm talking about? You know, the, 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 the things that play over and over your head are fundamentally formed by how we think of God. Who we think He is and what He does. And then the other big question we have to answer is, who are we then? What, what am I? And what do I do? What, I mean, this is the question, right? It's answered in so many films we see. It's answered in self-help books. It's answered at almost every level. We try to answer it by aligning with this group or that group, politics, whatever. Um, 
So these fundamental questions, these are the questions that Scripture deals with. And, and what I want to show just for a second is how Jesus ends up, up at the center of them. Make sense? Okay, so if you imagine, here's the two questions. What about God? What about us? There's all, think about this. If, if, if you, if, the Bible's trying to explain God. Like some, if you're like, why is the Bible so long? You know, you know what I mean? Why can't it just be in a tract? You know, remember the chick tracks? Who's old enough to remember chick tracks? Those were the best because it just was scare people to heaven kind of thing. There's always a demon in one of them for some reason. When we were kids, these little tracks you'd hand out supposedly get people to follow Jesus. I don't really remember why that was supposed to work, but, <laughs> but so the Bible it was talking about something so large, none of us can really fully comprehend what's going on. If your God's not that large, it's probably not God you're talking about. Right? So that's we got this really thick book that has these multiple storylines that that hit these deep questions of who God is and who we are. And so I'm just going to take us through just a few of them. Like there's 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 one where what are people? Why are people here? And so the storyline we have in the Bible is that is that God made people to look kind of like him. He called it making him in his image. So that it was like something that looked like him on the earth. And and this this group had belonging because they were in his image. It was almost like family and that the way that God would spread his image visibly on the physical earth was say, go be fruitful, have babies, multiply. And you know, the story is in the middle of that, you know, Adam and Eve thought, you know, I think we have a different plan and it broke them. We call it sin. And, and it, it, it got them into this place of separation of, of, not belonging. A good word for that is like orphanhood. And so what we learn about God through this is God is not content for things to stay that way. God chases humanity down and he starts and he works through the conditions that he made. He starts with one person, Abraham. And he works. He says, Abraham, through your family, I'm going to bless everybody. And, and we see this language through Abraham and then his descendants is Israel of God saying, I'm your father. I'm your dad. You belong with me. This whole family and multiplication idea started with me. And then we see the culmination of that story in Jesus, who then Jesus, who is the son of God. In the Trinitarian family, if you will, Father, Son, and Spirit, that the Father, Son, and Spirit are mirrored in, in the human family of uh, sort of not one to one, but like mother, father, daughter, that then Jesus comes and says, my God, my father is becoming your father. I'm opening the door. So God can be your dad. And as a people, you have a place of belonging so that anybody who receives Jesus, who says, I accept who Jesus is and what he's done. I submit my life to him, have the right to become children of God. So in this storyline, God is a father 
who wants to adopt humanity in who we are if we accept Jesus and what he's done is sons and daughters. There's another storyline that God wants to be with his people. God, the, the, the idea that eventually we'll just get escape from this earth and dwell into kind of this foggy place is totally unbiblical. God loves the earth he made. That's why that's why he, Jesus came in the human flesh. That's why he's saying in the future he's coming to earth. Revelation 21 and 22 to restore all things. So, but God, we see God started with a place on earth where he could be with the first humans and, and, and we had to go into exile. What happened with us? We have this image of God that when we sinned against God, when humanity rebelled against, it was against the way of things. It's against the way of things. It's kind of like, it's like a dent in the car. You know what I mean? A, a car's not supposed to be dented, but if you dent it, it's dented. It's not the way it was supposed to be. That's what happened to the image of humanity. It got damaged through sin. And because of that, God had to say, you can't stay in this place. Because what will happen to you, you'll be stuck like this forever. Actually, the, the, the imagery had is like, we don't want these guys to eat from the tree of life because they're broken and they'll never be able to change. But God's not content. We start to learn about what God's like, that he chases after humanity. And he goes through Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a place to be with me. It's going to be called the promised land. And it's this long and difficult journey that, that he's assembling this people so that they can live in relationship with God in a place. But we know the story that something was still broken in them. It's still the image of God broken in them so that they, they couldn't stay in that place either. They just kept on rebelling against God and his ways. They're like, God's like, guys, I'm going to have to send you out of here if you can't just hang in here and do what I ask and live in relationship with me. And they didn't. So they sent them into exile. And then he says these promises from the prophets of, I'm going to bring you back to a place. But it's got this language that sounds like, well, maybe Israel will get to go back to this one place, but it's actually really epic language that Isaiah uses. That's something like, I'm actually going to make a new heavens and a new earth. Like, whoa, that's pretty huge. And so in the middle, Israel comes back to this land that they originally had through their father Abraham. But things are not going well. They still feel like they're in exile. Why? Because there's other foreign powers that are dominating them and doesn't feel like a new heavens and a new earth. And in the middle of that, Jesus comes, the son of God. And he said, here's the deal. My daddy's house, his place has a lot of space for you. And I'm the way to it. And I'm going to prepare a place for you so that if you'll put your faith in me, I'm going to come for you. And we'll be together. I'm making a place. So what do we learn about God and us in this context? We learn that God created a place and wants to be with us. And he is aggressively going after it. But the one place to that place is Jesus. Another storyline is God wants to be present with his people. Near them. Not far away. And so we see that in the Garden of Eden. We see that, and, and there's some, fasc here's a fascinating thing, that, that, okay, so in the ancient world, you'd have a temple, right? And in that temple, you'd have an image of the God that was the visible representation of the God. Think about this, all of creation 
is filled with the glory of God. So at creation, where was God's temple? It's everywhere. And where's the image? Let us make mankind in our image. We're the actual image in the temple to represent what God looks like on the earth. But what happens in this moment is, is we, the rebellion against that deform this image so that we're no longer a representative of that image. And it, and it, it means God's presence has to be away. Sin is, is, is God. When we talk about holiness, it's Godness. Whatever is God, it's not just moral rightness. It is that, but it's Godness. It's the electric, incredible presence of God himself that only God is like that. When we're unholy, it's because we're not God-like. But our sin broke us in such a way that we can't fix ourselves to be with Him anymore. And just because the nature of the fire and the power of His holiness, unholiness can't be in the presence of it. It's like grabbing a, a, a live electric wire. It just doesn't go well. But we see that God is not content to be at a distance from humanity. His heart is longing for holiness and wholeness in us and a resonance between the image He intended to be showing what He's like on the earth and who He actually is. And so God pursues this guy, Abraham, and says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stick with you and your descendants. And so God does that. And, and, and the descendants of Abraham are this people of Israel that they, God says, it's so crazy. He says, build me a tent that I can live in. Think about this. The God who the entire realm of creation, everything we've seen from the Hubble telescope is his playground. He says, Hey, make me a tent. I'll hang out there. How humble is God? That he would hang out in a tent. But here's what's fascinating. He told Israel, here's the way to relate to me. We call it the law of Moses. He says, the first thing you're not going to do is ever never make an image of me. You are incapable of creating something that reflects who I am. Think about that for a second. We can't make an image of God. Anybody want to guess why? Because we are the image of God. But we're broken. We can't fix ourselves. So here's the deal. God, God starts to teach us in all of history what it means to be able to be restored to the image of God. Because you get this tent where God's living and eventually it becomes this beautiful temple. But you cannot just waltz in there or you will die, man. It's like just running, you know, covering yourself in water or running into one of those electrical, you know, transformer things and just hugging it, you know. You're going to just be fried. So what has to happen is, see, sin leads to the deformity of the human uh, image of God and ultimately to our death or demise. So someone or something has to take that death in our place. So at the very outset, at the front of the tabernacle, there have to be sacrifices. There'd be a sacrifice where a lamb would be killed. And that would be the representative for all of Israel that this allows me to stay around you. But you still couldn't go into the temple. You still couldn't go into the tabernacle. Instead, there'd have to be a priest. And this priest would have to take that blood and, and sprinkle it 
in the room out in front of the, the, the Holy of Holies because it, because only one guy who was specially prepared could be kind of this go-between between the Holy God and a broken people. And so what's amazing is for years this object lesson is happening and then Jesus comes. And Jesus is the word God himself become flesh and made his dwelling. That's the Greek word for tabernacle. Jesus becomes God's tabernacle on earth. And then Jesus becomes the Lamb of God who makes it possible to even enter the tabernacle. Jesus himself becomes the priest who's the go-between between God and broken humanity. Jesus is the restored image of the invisible God, the image that was broken in humanity and we couldn't fix. Jesus came and fixed by being himself. So that who are we? If we say yes to him, put our trust in him and stare at him, we're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, meaning we're being restored to our created purpose through the existence of Jesus and the transforming presence of Jesus. I'm starting to become myself. And in then God's dwelling place, as we look in Revelation 21, is God coming back to earth, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven to earth for God to restore all things and for God to dwell in the midst of his people. And that passage says that there will be no temple. There will be no tabernacle because God himself is the tabernacle and the temple in whose image he's bearing his beauty to the world through the restored image in humanity. This all happens through Jesus. One last storyline in the Bible that kind of pulls all these together, people, place, and presence, is this idea of kingdom. You know, it's this idea... Oop, back up. Bam! That God is in charge of the world. And when we say kingdom, it's not like... You know, we always have just human reference points, which usually when we think of king, we think egocentric, self-serving, insecure, you know, all those kind of things. You know, that's our high view of leadership. <laughs> but, but in God's kingdom, it's all beauty here. Things working the way they meant to be. That I always like talking about mosquitoes in this context. I don't know what mosquitoes purpose is, but it had to be something different in the original intent of creation, right? You know, maybe they, I was like, you know, you ever like Q-tip is nice in the ear. Maybe they just do that. You know, oh, that feels so nice. But because of sin, they make us itch. I hate mosquitoes. So, but what's fascinating is at creation, God says to humanity, he says, I want you to take dominion over the earth, rule the earth, order the earth in the generous, beautiful, sacrificial way that I do along with me. Be my co-ruler on earth. And what do we do? We rebel against the rule of God. And what invites us chaos. It's chaos. I always tell the story. Um of one of my kids who will go unnamed, who, you know, there's a period of time uh, when, you know, they just wanted to be where they wanted to be. He was about two years old, and I just narrowed down from two, three to two. Um, it, he was about two or three years old, and 
you know, we wouldn't let him in the bathroom in our master bedroom because he just, he was just a terror. It was like the Tasmanian devil. You know, things would just go flying. And and so um, one time he's just bugging me so much. I was like, fine, go in there. And he walks over and the, he kneels down and there's a toilet seat. And he just puts his mouth on the toilet seat. <laughs> As if to see, see, I know what I'm doing. I mean, literally, I just look like, I can do whatever I want, man. Well, if that's what you choose to do. That's what happens when we rebel against God's rule. We put, we start sucking toilet seats, man. It's, we just don't know how to live. And so the story is that God wants to re-exert his rule. Why? Because he's insecure and needs some place to rule over? No. He could blow it all up in a second. He wants to, in this participatory way, with his image in humanity, let's steward creation together. Let's be creative together. Wouldn't that be fun? Could we do that? So he comes to Israel and he gives them this way of relating to him in the law. And then he ends up establishing this this dynasty, King David, is like, man, this guy is a mess, but he gets it. He at least keeps on coming after me. So I'm going to make one of his sons the king. And then Jesus comes, the son of David, who, you know, when, 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 when humanity at creation gave up our place of being co-creators with God, we came under the authority of evil powers, demonic powers. But here's what's fascinating and beautiful at the cross. Jesus takes all the consequences of our rebellion against his authority, which is death and destruction, and he defeats it. At the cross, he makes a public spectacle of all the authorities triumphing, triumphing over them through the cross. He, he then is, uh, his coronation is he's, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If you wonder what that means, that's, he's in charge of everything, everywhere, all the time. Jesus is. And then what's so cool, he says, one of the last things he says, it's, if in case you're not clear, all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a first, uh, first century way of saying everywhere has been given to me. Jesus is the king of the universe. He's the guy. He's the man. And so how does that, what does that do for us? It says that if we put our faith in Jesus, God raises us up with Christ. Seats us with him. We're no longer under the dominion of demonic rule and authority. We're seated back in our original place in the image of God, co-creating with God. And Revelation says our future is we will reign with him forever. What does that mean? And you're like, sweet, I've always wanted to be the boss of somebody. No, the, the rule of Jesus looks like going to the cross over and over again. It's the sacrificial, joyful stewarding of the earth and of, of creation. That, that, that what, what, is, what is this going to look like when Jesus returns? Uh, I've, I've said it before, probably here, and I, I said it once to Ken Weed, who's, who's a brilliant scientist, if you know Ken. And, and I, I said, Ken, what if all the research you've done for now is just practice for the new creation? And God's just going to say, go explore, and I'll see you in about, I don't know, a thousand years. Tell me what you found. What if? But this all happens through Jesus. Guys, I only gave you five storylines that are in the scriptures. And I didn't give you anything close to it. But I tell you, I promise you this, every single one of them 
leads to Jesus. He is the, the nexus, the, the intersection between God and humanity. He is indispensable. He is where everything starts. So everything starts with Jesus. Why? It's because he tells us who God is and what he does. The sun is the image of the invisible God. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of being. Anyone who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. Jesus tells us who God is. And he tells us who we are. I love this in Romans eight twenty nine in the message. God decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives in him. Okay. So Jesus tells us who God is and what he does, who we are and what we do. So the question is, where are we going as a church? Well, it's very, very simple. Where are we going is often what organizations use the word vision. What's your vision? And this is our simple vision. It's to be near and like Jesus. To be near and like Jesus. Knowing that this Jesus is a person who came back from the dead, is alive right now, it is present to us through the Holy Spirit and through his community. So the Bible tells us about how to access Jesus that we can actually have a relationship with him and to be like Jesus, meaning that what we're meant to look like is that person. That's what our created purpose was, was to look like Jesus. So our vision is to be near and like Jesus. So the question is, how do we get there? How do you, what do you, what? So you had a vision. The next question is, that's a great vision. How do we get there? What do we do? Jesus gave us kind of a summary in his last statement of, of, of this in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. He'd risen from the dead. Last instructions he gives to his disciples before he goes to the Father. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm the king. Therefore, here's what you do. Go and make disciples of everybody, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. Notice these are identity phrases that happen in baptism that we've actually even talked about. Fatherhood. You're going to be sons. Son. We're going to be royal. Spirit. We're going to be sent as ambassadors. And here's what a disciple does. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Some people think, how does the Old Testament relate to the New? God's commands are beautiful and wonderful. And Jesus said, I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill it. I'm here, I'm here the way to actually live this out from the inside out. And so the beautiful life is a life of obedience to Jesus. It's a life that's not sucking on toilet seats. Okay, great. So how do we get there? Our mission. So our vision is to be near and like Jesus. Our mission is... To be disciples of Jesus. A disciples, another word you could use is apprentice, learner, student. I want to imitate that guy. I want to be like him. Who make disciples of Jesus. 
What Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20 is that it is the normal disciple life. If you're imitating Jesus, you will be making other disciples of Jesus. It's just the normal life of the disciple. Okay, so important question we're all asking. So what am I going to do about that? What am I going to do about a vision and mission that's visions to be near and like Jesus? Mission is to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. Let me suggest some things. Vision is a big deal. How we envision our future fundamentally determines our present, doesn't it? I love giving the illustration that if what if your job all day, every day was to screw on the top of toothpaste tubes, that was your, that was your job, just put the cap on toothpaste tubes. And if you knew at the end of the year, you get a hundred dollars, eight hours a day, toothpaste tubes, hundred dollars, what would your present be like? Now for anyone who's like under eight, maybe that'd be exciting to you. But anyone here has had to pay a bill related to anything <laughs> realizes $100, I think I'm in prison, right? But what if at the end of the year for that job, you're being given $100 million, <laughs> right? You'd be toothpaste tubes, <laughs> toothpaste tubes. Can I do yours? Yeah, I got them, you know, right? Right? It, it, it really affects your present, right? You may be doing the math. Thousand bucks a, tu- a tube, man. Let's go. You know? We all live with some kind of vision for our lives and place we're imagining it to be. And if you're like me, okay, so I turned 49 this, no, I don't. I turned 50 this year. Wow. What's going on? <laughs> I turned 49 for the rest of my life. Starting this year. <laughs> and, and, and there's a lot of young people in the audience. I love talking about vision with you guys. I really especially want to talk about people my age. If you're not disappointed yet, you don't have a realistic vision. I don't know anybody my age who says, yeah, my life's gone the way I expected it. I'm serious. And some of you might think that's depressing. Um, I don't at all. And here's the reason why. is because Jesus has become my vision. What if the vision of my life, what if the reason I exist, what if the reason I'm taking up space on planet Earth is to be near and like Jesus? And that literally is the vision for my life. Guys, We cannot build anything that will sustain the size of a human life that's done in our own strength. That's why our visions will always disappoint us. You're too big for it. You're too big of a deal. You're such a big deal that God spared no expense to restore His image in you so you could be what He was dreaming you to be. So I'll just say it very straight straight up. You're crazy if you think you could come up with a vision large enough for you. You've underestimated who you are. 
Only the God who's made us and saved us and restoring us can tell us who we are. So what if wherever I'm working, whoever I'm with, whatever I'm doing, if I'm on point of being near Jesus and letting him make me like him, I'm exactly on mission. I'm on vision. And nobody can steal that from me in any context. Guys, I can't say it hard enough or loud enough. There's only one way to live. And this is the message of Jesus. That only He can tell us who we are. Anything, even with religious clothes on it, is a tower of Babel that will fall. Could you hear the longing of Jesus for us? I can feel it in my heart. I didn't know what the Lord wanted to do today. I was shaking before I got on stage. Like, God, what are you doing? And I just feel the longing of Jesus to win our hearts. To want nothing more than Him. What if what I'm supposed to do with my life? You look at our gifts and talents and think, how do I belong? What makes me fit on planet Earth? And, and there's these unfortunate tries at it, like America's Got Talent. Where if you can, you know, ride a unicycle and juggle knives, you must have value. Our world's so confused. We have no idea what it means to mean. To have significance or value. And that comes from the redeeming work of Jesus. Making us who we were meant to be. So that our mission, our doing, only flows from something He's already done for us. This is why it will make me weep that we in our own service will have special needs kids singing worship songs loudly because their gifts do not define their value. Their ability to be smart and, and, and get things done, it's know that they're in the image of God. Made to be someone who can interact with the living God and reflect His beauty even in their brokenness. The world has no answer for that. No ability to make sense of those who are dealing with things like uh, trauma and brokenness. Only Jesus can say you matter now because you don't have to contribute to thing. What if my mission, what I what I'm here for, is to be a learner of Jesus? I've been watching. Uh, that, that series, uh, ESPN 30, uh, 30 series, The Last Dance, which is about the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan. And what's fascinating is, is Michael Jordan, there was a, a Gatorade ad campaign that it was called Be Like Mike. And, and it was this idea, you know, and of course, you know, in the world of advertising, it, in 30 seconds, you can idealize anything, right? 
And what was fascinating to watch is that from that moment of that ad campaign, it started to destroy Michael's life. He hated it. He was just under this constant pressure to be somebody he's not. You start to watch us and just start to feel sad for the guy. I'm so sorry. And he's reached the pinnacle of this vision of whatever we think it is in the West to be powerful and amazing and gifted. And he's looking to get out of his life. Because he's sitting in a spot that only Jesus could be. Could it be that even the, the most successful entrepreneur, that the best human that you know is not adequate to the size of the life God's called you to? It's not good enough. It's okay. But what if you get to spend the rest of your life saying, however Jesus did it, that's how I want to do it. However Jesus interacted with authority, interacted with other humans, that's what I want to do. How would Jesus do that? If you're old enough, you remember the 90s, there was this bracelet, WWJD, and it was like, you know, it got, it got old quick. But it's the right idea. What if, if, think about it. Why are we in such incredible crisis in our nation? It's because we don't know who to trust or who to follow. Right? Has there any, any time there's been less confidence with the information you get? That's why I don't even talk about half of it. Because, because I, I've come to the conclusion that the most practical solution the most livable solution is to imitate and follow Jesus Christ. He's not a religious ideal that informs real life. He is at the center of reality itself. And I am in non-reality. I'm in fantasy living any other life where Jesus isn't defining it. I'm literally living in a fantasy. God has become present and near in the person Jesus so that we know who he is and who we are. So why wouldn't we chase Jesus above all else? You start to get to my age, you start to ask questions about legacy. What will matter? Will it matter that I walked on this earth? Will anybody even remember that I was here? And Jesus has an answer. He says, go and make disciples. They may not know your name, but your influence will live on. Guys, I look at my parents. I look at my wife's parents. Both of them had elements to their family that was far from God, even abusive. And their, my parent, my parents and Kelly's parents said, not with us, we're following Jesus. And what's happened is a multiplication. In my family, three brought, three brothers, we each got three kids who are following Jesus. You know how long that's gonna last on this earth? Because of one decision in one family. Is that a legacy? Guys, it changes cities. Changes how people act in social environments, whether they cheat on tests or their taxes. It's fundamentally altering the fabric of culture to make disciples of Jesus. It's real. This is reality. 
What if it could be that it doesn't really matter that much what job you use to get money as long as I'm making disciples, I'm on mission. I have worked the craziest jobs my whole career. And I think God did it just to make me like a foolish display of what could happen. Paul says in 1 Timothy, I'm the worst of all sinners. So everybody can look at this guy and say, well, if he can do it, I certainly can. I've been a telemarketer. I fight with a master's degree. Filed papers for someone who just got their GED and wouldn't let me address envelopes because she felt I was not competent. (laughs) Not joking. Not joking. I had a master's degree and was like, okay, I guess I can't do that. I've been a porter for a hospital. I've been a very unsavory situations, grabbing people out of showers. Not good. Because they couldn't get out. That was why. I mean, it's like, it wasn't pleasant. I've done marketing for products I hated and had to convince a room full of people that this is the best thing you've ever thought of. And I was like, are you talking about the same thing we're selling? I mean, trust me, I am. Oh, God, i got to get a paycheck. God, God has taken this guy who is super talented in his own mind, top of his class, and said, I'm going to teach you what it is to actually have a mission for your life. A mission that's not dependent on the decisions of a boss. A mission that's not dependent on an economy. A mission that's not dependent upon a governmental system. A mission that is actually so solid, it's rooted in God himself. And that, that I could work menial jobs with a big smile on my face and a sense of hope and meaning. And people will say, what is wrong with you? They say, oh, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on my mission. What do you mean you're on your mission? I'm a disciple here to make disciples of Jesus. Are you interested? Guys, it's possible. If anybody can do it, 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 if I can do it, anybody can do it. I promise you. I'm I'm getting to baptize a guy this week who doesn't even go to believers yet because he's not ready. But I met him through odd circumstances. And I'm the worst witnesser I'm afraid of everybody. I'm socially awkward. And he says, I want to follow Jesus. And we're going to do a baptism with his buddies who are going, maybe I should follow Jesus too. Guys, I've never felt more alive. More alive than what I'm preaching. With people who are lost and they don't know what their life is about. And the world has given them a billion messages and they're all nuts. So here's the question is, is, do you want to, you want to play? One of the things I've been tasked with is as a lead pastor, I don't make all the decisions here. I, dear God, let that not be. 
And my wife is just cringing him. I'm like, he's making all the decisions. What? This team of elders I, I'm submitted to and work with and, and our leadership team and, and we've got different teams for how the finances are beautiful trustees and, uh, but this I do know and this is the hill I'll die on and I'll do it with you is I want to be near and like Jesus. If you if you want to want want to run and want me to run with you, I, I'm in, I'm in, man. I'm in. I'm in. Maybe you don't work someplace where you can be excited about the vision and mission. You have one, but it's like you know making thousands of pancakes, and that's okay. But that doesn't mean it's defining your life. You're, you're too big for that. You're too important for that. Only Jesus can give you a mission large enough for your life. And it looks like this. So do you want to do it? That's the question. Do you want to do it? Because we're going we're gonna to do whatever we can to go there. Jesus is the most beautiful invitation. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Live my way of living. Meaning, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. I'm not going to humiliate you. And you're going to find rest for your souls. But it's in carrying a yoke because his yoke looks like a cross. His yoke looks like you're going to have to die to all your lesser desires. You're going to have to have to make some choices where you think, God, this can't possibly be you. He's like, will you trust me? Why? Because there's only one way to build trust is to not be in control. So it's the best thing and the hardest thing you will ever do. This is not for the weak of heart in the sense of, oh yeah, I'll try that. And this is not recreational. If you want to follow Jesus in a recreational way, you will hate being here. You'll think these guys are boring, they're uninteresting, they don't do this or that. I, and I know we are, I know it. I mean, we can't even get the simplest video stuff to work, even with the greatest people back here. Usually I will hand them something covered in butter. You know, I'm like, well, why doesn't it work? I think God, I think he like literally like kicks stuff out from underneath us on purpose. He's like, they're trying to be cool now. Let's put a little spinach in their teeth, you know. I was in a meeting with Kara Mosby this week. She's like, you have spinach in your teeth. It's like, thank you. Right. Guys, the, the thing is this. I feel like we're in a moment. I don't think Jesus has ever called us to a recreational life with him, you know, as a pastime to add on to us. I don't think he's ever done that. But if you've grown up in our nation for the last bit, we kind of could get away with it. We could kind of get away with recreational <laughs> following of Jesus. And, and we're kind of seeing the results of it. Why are we Christians acting so freaking crazy about things that are not about following Jesus? It's like, oh, this is God's kindness to us to go, okay, I'm going to pull that away. I'm going to pull that little support away. 
trying to pull this one away. It's these words we had about sifting. We're like, God, you hate us. The devil's against us. He said, no, I love you. This is the way I'm healing you. This is the way I'm bringing you alive. You know the feeling after six hours of Netflix? Do you feel alive? You're like, I don't know if I'm really human anymore. I'm having an out-of-body experience. Real, I think. The Lord's rescuing us from even really attractive toilet seats. It looks like that's going to be the vision for my life. She's going to make me happy. He's going to make my life amazing. Nah. Now, here's the last thing I'll say about this. Here's, this, here's the thing that should, should give us pause, and I'll just say it as a warning. God loves us so much, he will stay, he'll let us stay recreational. He's so desperate to have any of our time, he'll take even just a little. Isn't he kind? He's a phenomenal dad. I get it, man. All my kids are old now. We are pathetic. We're like, what can we feed you as you walk out the door? You know, because all my kids are teenagers or older and they're running onto their thing. We're so desperate for time with them. We'll do anything. He's a dad who will let us do that. But we're the ones who pay for it. We're the ones who miss life mission. Life vision. How many hours of frustration have I wasted? Have I wasted? Because life wasn't going the way I envisioned it. Unnecessary angst and frustration. When I could have been with Jesus during that time. I could have just been saying, will you tell me what's going on? I said, probably not, but I'm with you. And I started to go, eventually, I don't really care what's going on. You still going to be here? Yeah. Yeah, let's stand together. Hey, Sam, uh, can you come on up, please? All right, we're just going to close with a song. This will be it. And, and what I want to invite you to do is, uh, I didn't plan this, so these guys are running to find the guy who knows the song. Um, you know what? We'll do it a cappella. I humiliate myself. Um, and, and if you want to join in, what, what I'm asking, listen, do not try to please me or anybody on our staff, or anybody. This is not about, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go with the vision of that church. Yeah, I think I'll... It's you and Jesus, man. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to drop the ball and, and just expect to be disappointed. How's that for a vision statement? Expect to be disappointed. Because I'm, I'm a friend with you who's called alongside as a shepherd to say, let's keep going this way. You guys, let's go this way. You're paying me to remind you things of what you already said you want to do.
So we're going to sing this song, I have decided to follow Jesus. And so this is not, you don't have to show anything to anybody, but I want you to have a moment with Jesus. And maybe it doesn't have to be exact same language, but would you hear his address? I believe he's addressing us. I believe that you're in this room on purpose. It's not an accident that you're here. Maybe you're far from Jesus. Maybe you haven't wanted to follow Jesus, but you're feeling something really weird. And you're feeling like, I'm excited about this. And I don't know why. It's because Jesus has your attention for a moment. And he wants to bring you into what you've always meant to be was in relationship with the God who loves you. And he will forgive you of running your own life and sinning against him when you didn't even know you were doing it. And say, I forgive you all. Come and follow me. So if you'd like to do that, let's just sing that together. If you want to come sit at the altar, if you want to, whatever you want to do. Some of you guys got to get kids. I get it. But we hear the invitation of the Lord to follow Jesus. Lead us, guys. have the elders come forward. We'll have some of our elders here um, who'd be available to pray for anybody you'd like. Uh, and I'm going to just pray this over you, Lord. I pray that our hearts would be open to your call. 
I speak to condemnation or guilt, anything that was other than the voice of Jesus, I command you to take your hands off God's people. And if you hear voices of condemnation or guilt or I should have or I'm not doing it good enough, Spirit of God never works that way with us. It's the kindness of God that leads us to life change. So we resist in the name of Jesus any guilt or condemnation, knowing that there is no life in that. That's the old kingdom. The new kingdom of life is the invitation of the kindness of God. Life life and more life. It's the father in Luke 15 who when he sees the son coming back runs and is too excited to even listen to the apology and hugs the son. Let the son embrace happen across this whole room, Lord. We say yes to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like prayer, please come on up forward and we'd love to pray for you today and excited to see you at five o'clock at La Fortune Park. Just enjoy the picnic time with you. Love you.